Mike, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for asking. Today, it, it means a lot that you could come. Um, I have so um, I have so much respect for you and for your work, and also know you as a person in my life. And so, I have all sorts of questions about um, what it is to really uh, be an artist in this day and age and some questions about uh, your process. So I thought today that I would start um, by asking you uh, what it's like to make movies now versus what it was like to make movies like 30 years ago when you first started. Uh -huh. um, movies used to mean uh, difficult equipment that was far too expensive to own. So... Um, what people would do is pool resources and we would own it in common and it would be available to many different people. It, it, opened, it um, opened this question of space. So you have this stuff, where are you going to put that stuff? Yeah. And so then you need um, an architecture, a space, somewhere in the city, probably. Mm. And so that space, that architecture becomes a place where people come together. Um, production in that time meant uh, it was a it was a kind of a centrifugal or pedal force, like a, a force that would draw draw you in. It would it would draw people out of their homes and towards each other, hmm. um, so we could talk and meet and talk and find out what each other were doing, and we could find out how to use these strange tools, and we could find out how to use them in improper ways. Um, today, making a movie. You know, everyone can just do it with their phone. Yeah. And our and the computer is like a recording studio, a expensive post production digital studio. It can be a camera. You can do all your voice recordings. You can you can do everything on the computer. Hmm. And so the computer asks us to be alone when we're making. In fact, uh, yeah, I feel like there's these two primary. Well, there's, there's many different qualities around the computer, but two, two of the things around production is um, it's, um, it asks for isolation, a particular kind of isolation, which is um, connected to everyone, but connected to no one. Hmm. And, um, and then there's this kind of, there's a time that isn't a time, you know? Yeah. I think all of us have had that experience of, uh, oh, uh, I've I've been sitting here editing for the last nine hours, and I haven't I haven't been in my body, and uh, it's ten o'clock at night, and I realize like oh I'm hungry, yeah, <laughs> um, so maybe I should get something to eat, and yeah, and then days go by and you haven't talked to a single human being, and then you just forget how, yeah, but at least you can repeat the lines that are you know in your movie perfect movie yeah wow um well i i actually i was i was so curious about like what your day is like and also if there's ever this kind of sense of accomplishment when you finish a project or are you just thinking oh i'm just you know this this is done i'm on to this other thing do you ever like sit and look at your work and review your work? Um, 
Well, the reviewing happens when it's nearly done. I often think that my work is done when it isn't. I think the hope is to finish, or to be finished, or to be at the end. It's a particular, uh, I don't know, uh, it's, I think it's just part of my neurotic structure, mm. wanting to have things be over. Yeah. Um, so then I call in friends, and they look at what I'm imagining as something that's, uh, you know, I've labored over it for days or weeks or years, and I think it's finished. And then they often arrive with pens and papers, and they note down <laughs> scene by scene, <laughs> shot by shot, sound by sound, all the things that are wrong with the movie. Wow. And it often concludes with them saying, like, yeah, well, I don't really understand what you're doing here at all, or none of this is coherent, or, yeah, it feels <laughs> like the beginning of something, but I don't really know what it is, or, you know? Yeah. And then I have to start again, in a sense. How or, do- yeah. How does it feel? Like, how does it, does that muscle, so you've been making movies for like 30 years, over Mm. 30 years. Does that muscle of um, standing behind your work uh, strengthen? Like when, when, you know, praise comes and criticism comes or feedback comes, like does that ever get easier? Um, I think, like I spent... Like virtually everybody, you know, we all, we've all gone to school for a long time. Like even to imagine that you've gone through 12 years, like, you know, high school and then there's college or whatever, you know, whatever it is. But I, I never remember a cl- taking a class in how to receive praise, you know. Like I, I never learned how to, how, how to do that. And mo- most of the people I know actually um, don't know how to accept um, if a compliment or if you would tell someone... You're you're such an excellent person, or that was an amazing thing you just did. Thank you so much for doing that. You can I can feel it just slide off them like that's not really real. Mm -hmm. But as soon as someone says uh, that was you know that movie was awful, oh yeah, and then you you look at them like at last someone is telling me the truth. I oh I I knew this, and now you're confirming it for me. You know totally. Um, So. So when my friends, like, we do, we do this for each other, so I'm also, like, their turn is coming, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I also get to sit in the chair with my paper and pen, and I write it all down, and um, <clears throat> not, not in any malicious way, but we really try to be as completely honest as possible, you know? Um, so, yeah, it feels like, uh, I feel like I have the strength to be able to do that now, but it does feel like dying. Hmm. And when they leave, like, I'll just go to bed for a day. Wow. Just to try to recover, you know? I'll, I've been shaken. Hmm. It feels very personal. Well, the movie, it's like, it, even though it looks like it's over there in the computer, but it's really living here, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's just part of your body. Totally. And then to have someone, you know, point out all the parts of you that are incomplete or unfinished or unresolved or incomprehensible. Yeah. Then you have to go lie down. Yeah. And then, okay. (laughs) And then you call them in eight months later. Then it happens again. Uh, No. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's, it's nowhere. It's, I can't understand a thing. Oh. Wow. Then you might need a bit longer, a day and a half. And then, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Hmm. And then the end is like, when you say, it's like, oh, we're past the 10 minutes mark, and they've only written two things down. Hmm. This is looking good. Yeah. You know? uh, like that. Uh, you said an interesting thing to me once, which was that, like, you know, if someone gives feedback that's not so great, it's like, it's like, it weighs this much, but if someone gives a compliment, it's like, weighs like this much. You've released this book, and it had an impact on a number of people who were included in the book. Or not included. Or not included <laughs> in the book. And so I guess, what is, what is that like? What is it like to put something out there and um, and do you think it's ever really possible to honor the past or bring it to light, bring the past to light? Um, yeah, the book had a difficult, right at the end of, the, of a six-year process, the book, it was, a, it was difficult and it came out a bit later than I had hoped, you know? So it was, uh, I was very squeezed by a deadline. Um, most people, I think, like to work towards deadlines. They like to feel that pressure. Or there's, it's not possible to have creativity without external pressures. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, I think I create a lot of pressure. I create a lot of internal pressure. So to have internal pressure plus external pressure just feels pff, unbearable. Hmm. Um, about the book, um, it's a portrait of a community. It's done as an oral history collage, so very much like a documentary movie or an ordinary documentary movie where you see one person speaking on a subject, blah, blah, blah. You cut to person number two, blah, blah, blah. You cut back to person number one, you cut to person three, and all together these, sto- these stories collect to tell the story of this time. And the story of that time was the story of how the 60s in Canada was really lived in the 70s. Hmm. And so this, like, the back-to-the-land movement, the hippies, the drugs, the communes, all that stuff, and also liberation movements, women's liberation, of course, huge, the, like, second-wave feminism, black liberation, um, a liberation in education, so Rochdale College, um, so, like, a, a, the free school, the beginnings of all these artistic ventures, which were done in, a, like, theater groups and cinema groups, like the first cinema co-op, you know, people are rethinking how to live their lives, how to reorganize ourselves socially, how to reorganize ourselves aesthetically. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a complete project, yeah? And the, and the funnel, this um, film cooperative, comes out of that time. Hmm. Um, um, so for many people, they're, like, their big moment as an artist or as a person even, like the, the, the uh, events that cut or shape their lives happened in this period. And so they have a great stake or investment in how those things might be represented. How do I look? How am I shown in this time? Or even how is this time being crafted? You know. Mm-hmm. So you asked this question about, like, can the past really be represented? And I think that um, there's parts of our history that are more and less useful. You know. Um, and to the degree that something that's that's happened. 10 years ago or a thousand years ago is speaks to a living present. That's, that's when that past becomes alive. You know? mm-hmm. 
So, for instance, um, like we've had a long history in this country, and every, every country has a long history of uh, people that are not considered people. You know? Mm-hmm. Like they're a person, they're, they have, you know, <laughs> all the person like attributes. They walk around, they talk, whatever, you know, but it's, oh yes, but, but you're not a person because you're a woman, right? Or you're a slave, or you're a, or whatever it is. And so some of those moments of the past, which are uh, buried in that, in, that time, in that moment, in that, in the, in that time, can be um, resuscitated, rescued, you know? And all of a sudden, oh, history starts looking different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so, so part of the hope of this book was to bring back some of these um, buried moments. Um, it was a very important gay Marxist uh, co-op collective called SEAC, which um, came out in support of certain radical anti-establishment um, methods, and uh, they were buried, and then never spoken of again. You know? mm-hmm. And so, what is the relationship between art and politics, or what responsibility do artists have when, for instance, like the states, or these you know, dire, you know, very um, extreme political times are, are pressing on us? Yeah. So what, what, what kind of responses is necessary? Could we look to the past to find models of how people used to respond? Mm-hmm. And could, could we take some of those lessons and, and apply them today? You know? Yeah. This, is, um, this kind of leads into my next question, which is really about, um, it seems to me that anyone, you know, these days could make a movie or bring a movie to light or bring a story to light, you know, and and I was just recently thinking about this, like how the process has changed. Like, you know, you used to have to like rent a theater to show your movie, but now I can make a movie, I can upload it to Vimeo and I could be like, oh, here's, here's a, here's a movie. Um, what do you think about that? As What, what would you like to make, for instance? For, uh, I would love to make a documentary. About? I, just the process of, of awakening or seeing things more clearly or mm. um, the way that we connect to one another or connect to, the, to God or to um, the practice. Mm. Yeah. How would you start, do you think? <clears throat> well, I think that I would start by... <laughs> how would I start? I think I would start by just getting comfortable with the idea of um, of recording, I guess kind of like what we're doing right now, and just getting some of those thoughts out loud or even admitting them to myself. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then like, of course, and I guess actually the interesting part is that in a way it's like I do need permission You know, like, should someone like me who has no idea what they're doing and no background in anything, can a person like me be allowed to make a movie? Or, like, how much education do I need? You know, like, um, guidance, money, like, all these sorts of things. Um, Yeah, what do you think? I have no, I have no, I actually don't know. Well, I mean, you don't need so much money now. Yes. The money part, I guess, is... You have a phone, so you can shoot things. Yeah. And you have a, some kind of a laptop, which you could download a program on, and so you could cut it. Yeah. 
But I guess, I and guess. Then YouTube exists to show you whatever it is that you don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then you have some relationships. Yeah. And probably maybe, I mean, part of what I hear you saying is that you're going to make a movie out of these relationships or have conversations. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. I mean, I just wonder. Um, I guess I just wonder what that is like, you know, what that's like for you. That Does that impact you that anyone can make a movie? Or do you think, like, the more the merrier? And um, I'm, I'm sure that there's all sorts of, like, logistical things behind being a filmmaker and, um, you know, making money, making a, a life. Like, some people, I'm sure, just want to go to Hollywood, want to be famous in that way. Um, some people might not care about that. Like, that, it doesn't sound to me like that's something that you feel like you need to do. Right. So. Uh, yeah, I think the hope was always, you know, the old, the utopian dream behind fringe media was that everyone would be an artist. Everyone would be, would be able to make whatever they wanted. You know? mm. And that somehow we would find the means to uh, transform the very narrow channels of, um, uh, transmission, either television stations or movie theaters. We would we could micro broadcast, or we would build our own movie theaters and show them, show, you know, show movies, or we would show movies in different ways, or we would occupy spaces and turn them, you know, yeah. bars, cafes, uh, various associations in town. Um, there's regular screenings happening in the Polish Combatants Hall and all kinds of different thing, you know, venues. Um, so. The fact that more people are do, are are making it's it can only be a good thing, you know. I yeah. yeah. But then there's a second question, which is like the the frame of that making. Yeah. So the frame of that of these alternative makings, like in the in the seventies and eighties, was very linked to the question of counterculture, a counter cinema, a kind of an anti capitalism, and linked to these sort of liberationist projects, you know. And it's different now that we're sort of living in this showcase of neoliberalism. You know, Toronto is, has an endless parade of, um, well, it's just so expensive to be here now. And the, um, you know, the high-profile venues that are available for artists like the International Film Festival or Hot Docs, or, you know, they just show the winners, you know, they show the most expensive things that are being made. So they encourage, I think, people to chase that dream. It's like the sort of miniature versions of Hollywood. The, the reason why Hollywood exerts such, a, such an influence, I think, is because it, it lives inside us somehow, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, I want to do that too, or I want to be that, or I want to be part of that. And uh, so the question of um, resistance is there is, is much more muted now than it was. And for me, that's still the central um, engine and, uh, and, and question. So how could, how could this proliferation of production, which by itself is a, is a great thing, but I don't, think, I don't think it's a great thing if everyone just wants to make, it just, just wants to mimic or copy, make copies of what's already there, you mm -hmm. know, because... That's like giving in or something. Does yeah. everyone, does everyone get to share their story, or um, should I share my story? How much should I 
share. Do you think that you share all of the, the story when you make a film? Do you feel like you share your story completely? Or are you... Um, I think you should tell us a story first and then... I should? Yeah, you should. Okay, I'll practice. Okay. Um, and actually, I had one question, one last question. But you're going to tell a story first, right? Oh, am I going to tell a story? Yeah, just tell us Any a story. Any story, okay. Um, I like that you're including me in this, in, in this interview. Yeah, you're part of it, too. Um, <clears throat> a story. Okay, so when I... W Any story? Any story? Sure. Okay. Um, when I was... Um, Maybe eight, a war started in my country, but I didn't really know, like the war didn't just start, like it's not just like one day there was like a war, it kind of was like a buildup of tensions. And um, I remember um, asking my mom, mom, is like, is a, is a war going to, is a war going to start? People are saying a war is going to start. And she said to me, um, no, of course not. There's no war. No, like, no, you know, no war is going to start, just like a mom would say to, you know, a kid. And, and then I remember um, things actually happening and my grandma driving me out of the country, like, past, like, hundreds and hundreds of cars that, that were trying to evacuate. And I remember sitting in that car and just being so... Um, scared and like so I felt like that was like a moment that I can remember being like oh man like this thing really happened this like bad thing happened I thought it wasn't going to happen but this thing that I thought might happen actually happened mm -hmm. and just like the com the confusion around that about um about the war and about leaving. It was like a moment, like a true moment of like l loss. It felt like a loss. What were you losing? Well, <laughs> I was mad at my mom. So I like, I didn't like, I was like. Because? Because she lied to me. Right. <laughs> and I was really um, mad at my grandma. Because? Because, you know, she didn't, <coughs> she didn't bring all, the, all my stuff, you know? There was, like, only room for, like, one bag of stuff. One bag. One bag. <coughs> That's harsh. Yeah. So. And then you had to leave your home. And then I left my home, yeah. Did you ever go back? No. You never did? No. Wow. Yeah. It was... Um, robbed and then bombed um and i and actually and the the, the kind of like i feel like i've kind of buried the war story like the war is over um until recently someone said to me oh you're serbian right i can see the darkness in you i can see your dark side and i thought oh the war is still here it's like in in your perception of me now, as someone that's been portrayed as um, dark, 
or has a shadow side. And, um, <coughs> you know, like just in the way that, the, in, and I mean, I'm sure he sees something in me that's, that's, that's there, but he also is putting, you know, his impressions of, um, from the media about Serbians onto me. And then it was like the sense of like, again, loss, like, oh, the war is still here. It's still following me. It's still with me. So those are the kinds of stories that I feel interested in or curious about. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot to leave home forever in a way. <coughs> Did yeah. you feel like you left part of yourself there? Uh, yeah. Yeah, in yeah, I feel like I left um my childhood there for sure. Yeah, for sure. So Yeah, it's kind of like it got it got it things got very um much more like real after that. My life got much I I I had to kind of be a lot older than I was. How did that feel? Like a lot of responsibility. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to share that story. Right, me neither. <laughs> I was making you do the talking, but then it came back to me. It happens sometimes. Yeah. And I feel a little bit, um, a little bit vulnerable and a little bit like um, scared about sharing that story. And I guess I was wondering. If, if, if that is what it feels like when you share a story or do some movies, some projects feel closer to you or, or does it all kind of feel the same? Um, there's some things, like I, I made a movie called uh, Buffalo Death Mask and um, I... It was going to be centered around this moment <clears throat> in 1992. So I'm in Vancouver, living there. I'm in the doctor's office. I'm surrounded by um, mostly young men like myself. And um, some people are there on canes or walkers, or wheelchairs, or helped by their friends. And... Um, People are very sick because it's an all HIV AIDS practice and some of these young folks look like they're going to die, you know, at the end of the week or next week or next month or soon and there's no treatment available of any kind and there's no treatment in sight, you know. So um, one thing I noticed in those rooms is that um, light comes from the body. It, you know, like of course we know that light falls on the body, but actually light, like the body emits light. You know? 
And um, so I thought, oh, it'd be great to make a movie where, you know, which would teach people how to see the way that light comes off a body and they wouldn't even have to be dying. Like, how about that? <clears throat> so I, I uh, put together this, you know, a, a thing. It was 10 minutes long. And um, it just had some, you know, beautiful images and then some sound. And I invited my friends over and they looked at it and they went, Yeah, what's this about exactly? Nice pictures, dreamy. So what's it, what's it about, though? Really, you can't tell? Anything or no, nothing? <sighs> okay, so then I realized that I would have to be make everything more explicit, and that meant, of course, language, which I was trying to resist, as usual. So I had to have a conversation, which I did with Stephen Andrews, He's a long-term, he's what they call like a long-term survivor. He's been positive since the early 80s. And um, uh, he talked about his partner, Alex Wilson, who died one of those terrible lingering uh, deaths um, after, you know, as his immune system collapsed. And then Stephen himself became very sick. Big chunks of the visual field are missing, you know, just... Super sick. And then, da 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 like the drugs arrive at the last possible second, and he's just like whisked away from dying, you know, just wow. like he was really on the way out, and then poof, like incredible um, turn of events. Very unexpected as well. Hmm. Um, so um, he said this really beautiful thing about Alex. I guess they'd been together, you know, their entire adult life you know, since they were 20 or something. And he said, um, he said, it's not just that you lose this person that's so close to you, but you lose what they remember about you. Like they've borne witness to all these different moments in your life. And when they die, all those moments, they're gone. They're also gone. They, you know, they go with that person. Like, so he says that you lose part of yourself. And he said, if you don't really, if you're not centered or grounded and or if you're not clear about who you are, you know, you can really just start spinning away, you know, like it's like a double death, you know, he's describing. He says it in a very beautiful way. He's incredibly articulate. He's an artist. Anyway, um, and all of his paintings and, and uh, prints and drawings are filled with the sense of light coming out of bodies, you know. Because he saw what I saw, of course. We, we all saw the same thing. <clears throat> um, so I'm also part of that conversation. And he was very clear that I couldn't just sit back and like lob some questions at him, you know, and he was just going to yeah. <laughs> say some things. So, um, yeah, that film, uh, you know, it was a very personal thing to share with people. And um, I can't remember when, it was some, somewhere in the 90s, you know, I, I got um, uh, shingles. And for some reason I thought, uh, you know, because you're always thinking as a filmmaker, like, hmm, this, uh, this, would be, this would be very good to have a record of this, you know, because one day I'll, <laughs> I'm going to need this. Like, look at the, you know, shingles is like this eruption of these pussy, <laughs> it's like this rash of pussy things all over your body and it's strange because it follows the meridians of your body so the body is made from the center like 
when the body's being formed for the, you know um, it's 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 formed from the midline and then it and then it grows like this you know and the sh- and the, sh- the virus the, sh- the shingles um, moves in this midline like it res- it it's like um, it's respecting or it's it's a it's a kind of a bodily memory that it's enacting right it's like a roadmap to your yeah so it's so it is it's contained inside a, a meridian which uh, was formed from at the, at the very beginning you know so it's kind of incredible so it, it so I had it here you can get them you can get it anywhere right so when it just stopped exactly at the midline and it just wrapped right around and it stopped in the midline of both my back and chest you know so it's incredible kind of incredible super painful wow anyway amazingly Stephen actually talks about getting shingles and um Of course, you know, by this time, I've, you know, it's been so long ago, I can hardly remember, you know. And I go, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> something like, oh, yeah, I, I had that too, you know. <laughs> it's like you just have a million things, you know. <clears throat> and, uh, and then Stephen goes, no, no, that was like a big deal. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, okay, that was a big deal, right. <clears throat> and uh, so it was perfect. So there he is, he's talking about this thing, and it's like, hey, I've got images for all that. Like, I can, I'll just... Pull them out of the archive there, and there it is, you know. So, anyway, that couldn't have been better planned, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But it meant so, you know, there I was, like, lifting my shirt to show all these, like, disgusting things on my body, you know. Um, but it makes it, um, like, I think what's nice about the conversation is that we're, like, laughing our heads off the whole time. And Stephen's very funny, and you can't help laughing with him you know, no matter what he's talking about and he's also extremely articulate so it's just it's just so pleasurable to hear him speak um and so there's something very light even though what we're talking about is heavy like you know it's so it's just so light and, and the laughing mm-hmm. you know and then there's the body Whoa. and there's something about yeah. the way that cinema invites you to like jump into a body even when it's you know disturbing or broken yeah Hmm. That's really cool. Hmm. I was um, just feeling, re- I was just like, um, I became aware recently that actually what I tend to respond with is what's happening in my body or the information that I'm receiving and processing in my body and that I'm actually not responding to, um, that I'm less responsive to the Uh, the mind stuff, the information that's coming from the other person's mouth, right. then my response is actually a more body response. So if I'm, if, I'm in, if I'm in a triggered place or if I'm in a place where I'm picking up vibes from other people, then I might actually be responding to something, to very simple things with way more energy than actually um, is necessary. Yeah. And um, I also find, like, I find myself really affected by the visual, by the whole kind of, the whole dynamic, the whole story. Um, And I guess I was wondering, um, I don't know where I was going with that, but my feeling around it was just around awareness or, like, practicing with awareness or making a movie with awareness and um, of yourself, of your body, of where you are, where your energy is at. Uh, 
what what that's like and like what how your meditation practice because you and I have meditated together many times uh, and practiced together how your meditation practice supports your life and supports um, the the process and mm-hmm. um, I think that the you know the dominant one of the dominant habit patterns of our culture is to be um, a useful capitalist who's working and producing value of some kind in, in, in whatever ways you, you would say that. You know? It's like, I teach 100 yoga classes, or I'm making them. You know? And um, meditation, it seems to me, is a place of, of resistance. It's a place where you're, 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 it's not useful um, necessarily. It's not... Um, it's not uh, applied and it's a way to um, uh, step back and try to absorb what's actually happening right now just mm-hmm. as you were describing that your experience in conversation is about feeling what's actually happening in your body in this moment to moment and um, I think that invitation to listen is the part of what I'm trying to do as an artist mm. try to be part of like to listen as deeply as I can mm-hmm. and then to use these tools not to simply to exert my like to project my like will or power or something or preferences but instead to try to re- receive what's happening you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes well thank you so much for coming and sharing um, your story with me today thanks for sharing your story Lana <laughs>